everyone. Welcome to episode 184 of 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff. Somehow it is December already, and even crazier, somehow we've managed to get all three of us back together for an episode of the podcast. But every year, once we hit Thanksgiving, all bets are off with <laughs> the constant barrage of our calendar during the holidays. So I'm just happy that we're able to pull it all together this week and have all three of us here. Last week, it was just me, and we started with the unwrapping joy with a little background on how it all began with the Trinity. And Andy showed us how amazing the desire is for community with us from the Trinity. He said, God's love is so big, so great, that before any of this world came to be in the prequel, God knew all that would come, all the hurt and pain and misery, but because he chose to be with us and wants to be with us, with him, he started the story that ends in joy. The story that ends in joy. Hadn't really thought about it that way. <laughs> Just thinking like through that story and how we, ah, it's Christmas again. <laughs> Yay! It's Christmas again. Oh man. It's like, oh shoot. I got to get a tree. I got to yeah, exactly. gifts. I got to decorate. There's lights that are half strung <laughs> on my house right now that need to be finished. And I got to look when my wife came home. She's like, oh, you didn't get the rest of those up? Nay. Tell them to look really great in the daytime. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so this week was our annual meet worship survey event at the hospital church where all morning activities, including our first service and Bible study classes for all ages are canceled and opportunities are provided to reach into our communities as a church to make a difference in the lives of those around us. And then after the morning service, we reconvene at the church, refreshments and a second service, something that seems so simple on the outside. And yet many of us have been trained in such a way that this can create inner turmoil, the distinction between spiritual and secular. <laughs> and Andy, I I'd never thought about this in exactly the way you worded it, but you said, but could it be that the distinctions of spiritual and secular or sacred and secular are actually a heretical understanding that has slipped into our culture and that is seeking to divide our lives into two sectors. God's call isn't to a sector of life. God's design isn't that his joy would reside in some corner of our life, but that as we unwrap joy, it is for our whole life. Break down this heresy thing for me. How does this, how does this work? How does what? Heresy? What What are you talking about, Randy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What am I talking about? No, I, it's interesting. It, the, the separation of the sacred and the secular, or the spiritual and the secular, is fascinating. As I, I mentioned in the sermon, that in, in Hebrew culture, there wasn't a word for spiritual right, because yeah. everything was spiritual. And we've, we have moved to the opposite extreme <laughs> uh, as a culture yeah. where everything is sort of my decision based upon what I decide. There are some hard, cold facts, but they are scientific, empirical things we can, you know, we can see one plus one equals two, and we can look at, you know, equals MC squared, and we can say these are these are truths because we can sort of test tube them. Okay. But anything that's not test tubable, <laughs> that's a new word, um, <laughs> it is sort of up for grabs and is moved to the second floor where it, it can have no interaction with all the reality of normal life. Yeah. And so that there's this false dichotomy that there can be these two different worlds that exist. So, I mean, as Adventists, are we more susceptible to this maybe than others? Because the first thing that popped in my head was, all right, what do we do with the fourth commandment statement of remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? Because this seemingly creates a required second sector of activities, at least in relation to our work week. Well, there's, so, there's, so isn't that a natural progression? <laughs> Go ahead. That's the piece that always we always use that word holy, right? As if holy and profane are different than sacred and secular. Yes, exactly. Because we've had this idea that the Sabbath should be kept holy, which means in most people's minds sacred. Okay. 
but in in a sense there were very two they're different words holy is actually means set apart or made different so we have this idea that our activities are good or bad right. but it's not about good or bad it's about being you're using this Sabbath time to create a new or a different experience than what you've done all week. In other words, it's actually more of a privilege to break away from what was done throughout but, the week. But, but almost essentially that is a difference though, right? Because well, if we're going about our six well, days, we're going to go about our work. We're going to work and then, and then, now then we're, we're going to rest. Right. We're but, not going to be secular and then be sacred. <laughs> right. <laughs> But yeah. you're, but for us, we're saying, and for a lot of us, I should just say, yeah. growing up in a oh, culture, oh, definitely, where it was like, oh, yeah. you know, these sacred are music on Sabbath and right. and secular music during the week, right? Heritage singers, yeah. Del but you, Delker, but you, <laughs> and, and so and so when we've yeah. used a really great Beatles song in our worship service, there are people who are like, that's a secular, that's a, that's a, how can you use a secular song yeah. in a sacred moment? And if you listen yeah. to the song, it's you can call it secular if you want, but it's 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 rich with spiritual meaning. Sure. And for us to retrain our, our eye and our ear to watch for God in all of life instead of thinking he only exists in what we call the spiritual. Yeah. So it is, <laughs> is God in our work life? Is he on the on the floor at the factory? Is he in the classroom in the school? Is is he on the ball field? Is he at the arena? You know, is yeah. he at the soccer field? Could you say, Andy, that we are in a sense sacred because of who we are with Christ. Sure. Is that, is that Not that. I think God made us. And so we aren't secular beings. Right. And really one of the most important things in this, from my perspective, is the ability to be able to speak into the public arena. And now that's been taken away from, from all of religion and all of spirituality, because that's, that's a private, that's a private thing. You may think this way and I may think this way. You may be Hindu. Yeah. I may be Buddhist. You may be Muslim, I may be Christian. And so therefore, y'all just keep all that up there and talk about those ethereal things if you like. But in our day-to-day real world, we'll talk about real stuff. And so the spiritual gets separated and is not able to speak into all of life, which it should be able to do. Yeah, I I actually think that that's emotionally. And I mean, we always have these these compartments where we go, the emotional side of us, the spiritual side of us, the uh, physical, the social, and so on and so forth. And the goal is that we become much more integrated with those. And so for us to separate and create those things, I think that spiritually speaking, that actually is a hindrance to our life when we keep those all compartmentalized. When we separate them, it delegitimizes any spiritual conversation about what people consider to be secular. Yeah. How can – you can't take that and speak into this because these are separate. These are separate sectors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As opposed to all of life has these variety of opportunities in it. Some we call spiritual, but the reality is, is that all of life is spiritual. It's all God made. It's all God created. Um, well, and I love the quote that you had from the Journal of Business Ethics, where you talked about this first floor and second floor. It's a phenomenal and again, article. And, and again, this is something that I think we probably know. Deep in our hearts, we probably know this is the case, but it doesn't move us from inaction. It doesn't move us to integrate it in the way that we probably should sometimes. But the academics behind this idea in Andy's message where he quoted this, they said, this division of keeping the lower floor containing the secular realm and the upper floor of this building as the 
personal meaning in the sacred realm of private truth, this division effectively delegitimizes biblical and all religious perspective in the public arena. Instead of questioning the veracity of Christian doctrine or religious claims, we simply consign religion to the sphere of private truth, which is the upper floor, which takes it out of the realm of truth and false altogether. We say we respect one's religion, but also deny that it has any relevance to objectivity and universally accepted truths. And if you read that, I mean, this division effectively delegitimizes biblical and all religious perspective in this public arena. That puts this into a completely different light than just the way I organize my calendar into work, Sabbath, weekend, oh, definitely. or whatever. This has real implications is because mm-hmm. as Christians, we're constantly complaining that the world just doesn't – man, the morals have just – and ethics have gone by the wayside. And yet here we are saying, ah, let's not rock the boat. We go to church. We go to church on the weekend and we just do our thing at work and we – good enough. But, and this is very, very different than it was even 50 years ago. But certainly a yeah, hundred sure. years ago, it was radically different that the realization that, that we were spiritual beings, we have accountabilities, that God's in charge. That was all a foundational behind the scene. You, did, you didn't, it may not have been out in front in a conversation, yeah. but everybody in the culture pretty much had that ethic behind them. And today that's not the case. The, no. That ethic is, is gone. And now the God is actually tolerance. I must tolerate your thinking, you must tolerate my thinking, and tolerance becomes a big thing versus having open debate and disagreeing vociferously and then being able to go to supper together. Right. Uh, yeah. that, that, that whole idea that we ought to be able to we ought to be able to bring our perspective to the table and it ought to inform how we live what people call their secular life. Because essentially it seems as though tolerance has been I mean, I know what the definition is. I've looked it up in the dictionary, <laughs> but I don't think the definition that we apply across the board when we say tolerance is what it used to be. No. It really is, oh, this is what we've all decided on as a society, and if you don't agree, then you're not tolerant, and therefore you're hateful, right. you're a bigot, you're these things. Yeah. And, and It's a little bit live and let live, except yeah. that we don't want to let live if you disagree with me. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the thing that really struck me was, you know, we're always encouraged to follow what Jesus would do, right? Live the example that Jesus lived, and then you just don't have any problems. WWJD. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I actually wrote that WWJD, <laughs> you know, what, 10 years, 15 years ago, that was all the rage, the wristbands, everything else. But yet his observance of Sabbath and of just religious principles in general were radically different than the religious elite of his day. So are we becoming or have, are we already here where we're maybe overly self-righteous in the way we view this issue like the Pharisees and Sadducees where we have to compartmentalize this because if we don't, we're going to lose who we are as an identity. Hmm. I mean because Christians, this is what we believe. And so if we're not going to keep this separate, then how do we integrate that without compromise? That was the first part after when you got to that part about the two floors <laughs> and I'm thinking – I'm looking at this and I can totally see where the, the implications come to us. Mm-hmm. But how did Jesus handle this? Well, I think, first of all, I think all of life was sacred for Jesus. I think he saw it yeah. all as a spiritual journey. Right. But he, in his culture, the spiritual journey was able to speak into the normal life. Yeah. Uh, and so he was, it, was a, it was much more of an integrated Hebraic mind that was able to hold paradox more, much more comfortably and be able to live with that. And then also to see that the whole world is spiritual. Everything had a spiritual implication to it. And that was that was sort of the norm of the culture. Even when you go to Rome, you had all these variety of gods. And Paul on Mars Hill, you know, this 
this statue of the unknown God. Yeah, I, I think, we, and you mentioned earlier, I think that we sometimes lose the the beauty of dialogue when we start to create a moral judgment on somebody. And we, and I think that's the part that I think Christ was helping us to see that there is not a good side to you and a bad side to you. You know, like we have the angel on either side of your shoulder. And because when we do that, we tend you're evil or you don't agree with me. And so this tolerance or this intolerance does turn into bigotry. So I think the reason I'm saying this is I was just this last weekend, we were at a, a wedding where there were a lot of different <laughs> backgrounds. Uh, and, and the people that were there had a lot of different ideas about religion <laughs> and, and what weddings should look like. And the speaker for the wedding did a really good job of putting it through. And one of the things, because there was a lot of Jewish and there was some Judeo-Christians, there were some people who were not professing anything at all. And I think that the way he handled it was God's conversation with man as Mm. opposed to God's commandments Mm. or God's standards or what we look at as, as religiosity. And, I think when we handle this whole thing in a conversation, I think it eases into the idea that we all need to realize that we need to just calm down a little bit sometimes mm. and yeah. just look at this as a conversation as opposed to what you need to do or what I need to do. Well, I like that. Although what I need to do and what you, me telling you what you need to yeah. do <laughs> is me losing touch with Paul saying – and who's quoting scripture, so it's double scriptured. You know, there's no one good, not even one. We're all just a yeah. mess. Yeah. yeah. And and but when I when I begin to think I'm not a mess, then I want to tell you how to be not a mess like I'm not a mess. But <laughs> but, but yeah. But if you become like me, you're gonna be a bigger mess. I mean, so it's right. It, it, it's, right. It's, it's, we're we're sort of a, we're sort of a, a mess. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. If you become like me, it'll be it'll be worse for both of us. Honestly, why do we think anyone would want our mess? Like, if that's not your mess, oh hey, come join me yeah. in my misery. Woohoo! Yeah, I mean, mess is mess, right? Yeah, this sounds pretty good. Okay, this whole idea, this sounds pretty good. I like Uh-oh. it. We, but it's it's a little scary. Here we go. It's a little scary, possibly, right? But it sounds good. How do we, as a church community and, and individuals, help change perceptions about this without being preachy or like we just said, I mean, is it just a conversation? What's our velvet sledgehammer that gives us the end to take what we believe in this and say, we don't want to leave this duality. We want to put it in perspective. But some people are like, I can barely talk to someone at church. How am I going to go to work and let my my faith shine through? I, I need something on my I, side. I think, the I velvet think, sledgehammer. I, yeah. I think the first, I think probably the, the one of the keys is to be a person who asks questions versus tells people things. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. Um, so if we're talking about politics, and no matter which side of the aisle you're on, yeah. it's irrelevant. But when you see something happening that isn't appropriate, that is bringing injustice instead of justice into the world, then you're a Christian who wants to bring justice in the world. So it's, I think it's a great thing to say, well, you know, how, if, we, if we go down that path, how's that going to help the world be a better place? Hmm. Well, now all of a sudden... I'm asking myself this question, and I'm trying to figure it out versus you telling me. Versus, uh, yeah. Nobody likes to be told right. what to do. Um, I think I think another – and alongside of that, actually, that's really good. Alongside of that, I think we need to go into any conversation or any kind of encounter or confrontation 
I think we need to go in knowing, you know, what where we are really at with this. Yeah. In other words, are we open to new ideas? Are we open to questions? Because a lot of times we fear. We actually have yeah. a lot of fear going into a conversation that I'm going to have my mind changed and we don't like that. Yeah. And so we, we need to find out, you know, what is it that we are really thinking about it, believing about it, and can we, are we open to another point of view? Yeah. I think the other thing is for us to become – to sensitize ourselves by giving attention to looking for, looking for the hand of God in everyday life. Yeah. And, and I think if we do that, if we, if we watch – I mean, we can say, oh, that's a really pretty sunrise or sunset. Yeah, we can say that. Or we can think about how does that speak to me of, of the God of beauty? Um, yeah. I was – Heading out to the garden to water it the other day. I have a little tiny nothing garden. Uh, don't, don't think I'm some kind of <laughs> master gardener here. I have one row of radishes. Um, anyway, I was going out to water them because it needed a drink. And I caught – there was a spider web right in the middle uh, of the path to the out there. And I'm thinking – and the fence is over here, and that's what the thing's attached to. And there's some leaves of a plant way over here, and that's what this thing's attached to. How in the heck does the spider do that? How did he get all that? How does he get <laughs> over there and then run his line back over here and, and then build this perfectly symmetrical web yeah. with silk that, in a day. That, that, all, <laughs> that all just evolved? Yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. oh, come on, just the work of a spider. Makes yeah. me have to think. There's got to be a design. There's a designer somewhere, yeah. but but also just so it speaks to me of the designer, but it speaks to me of order. It speaks to me of beauty. It speaks to me of creation, and I can see God's hand in that. And I think the same thing can be true in people. We see, uh, you know, if, if we just begin to think about when I catch the eye of another person, that's a person who matters infinitely to God. Yeah. Okay, well, man, that's all of a sudden I can start seeing people different as well. And we need to do the same with ourselves. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because we very rarely will look at ourselves as sacred. We have a hard yeah. time believing yeah. we are the beloved. That we are. <laughs> yeah, that we are. Yeah. Well, after spending almost a week in Marco Island, it's that time of year where, where we stay at Heather's aunt's house. They have a pier right on the gulf, right on the water. And sunset is mm-hmm. right off of there where you can go out on the pier and you can watch it go. Yeah. And sitting on watching these beautiful sunsets over the Gulf where it just illuminates the sky and then it backlights the sky behind you. And you sit there. All and, those poor people in Marco having to do that. I know, right? And so <laughs> every night we went down to watch it and went to the beach one night. And every night it was just, I mean, how does this just happen? This beauty, this mm-hmm. this this grand scale of artwork that just happens for us. Yeah. A lot of days, especially mm-hmm. here in Florida. And so I agree with you. You have to find those little bits and pieces and just find the wonderment in it. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Velvet Sledgehammer, that's not mine. <laughs> that is uh, Jason Ilian. He is a New York Times oh, bestselling okay. author that uh, was on The Bachelorette. And oh, we interviewed wow. him on our TV show way back 2010, Hope on Fire. And that was his – you have to help people with a velvet sledgehammer. Just put – just <laughs> you need to get your point home, but you got to put a little velvet on there just to lessen the blow a little bit. So – all right. This week, one of our FHC takeaways asked a question. Diversification is a safe investment strategy. Why do you think God wants us all in with our whole life? As a former financial advisor, I couldn't pass up this takeaway. Oh, there you yeah. go. Because yeah. everyone knows that diversification is the best strategy. The multiple individuals won a Nobel Peace Prize in economics, proving that using asset allocation to diversify your portfolio accounts for over 90% of your success as an investor. Did you know that? That's See, good. over 90%. Yeah. Man. All the details that go into the investment planning make up the other 10%. Who wouldn't do it, right? Investing is all about control, though. 
It can be fear. It can be ego. It can be a gambling mentality. But it's always control. The list of ways a control freak can mess up their portfolio are <laughs> countless and too many stories that I have to prove it. God has to be in control. Mm-hmm. And I just – I love that analogy. I love that question. And so our final thoughts are from Andy's message. He said, God is calling you and me to invest our whole life with him. No hedging our bets with a diverse life investment strategy. He wants us all in. He wants our whole life. It's good to remember that because sometimes just like we were talking about before, I don't think, like you said, we don't see ourselves as sacred. And if we don't, why would he want our whole life? I mean, just right. We just need the church part. That's what he wants. We (laughs) sing praises. We sing songs. We pay our tithes and offerings. And then there's Saturday night. That's right. (laughs) Get down. All right. Well, what are we unwrapping this upcoming week? Okay. Well, that's, that's interesting. You would ask, because I had to go look myself yesterday. (laughs) Um, uh, It's, the failed plan for joy. Failed to plan for joy. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> and that's all you get, folks. Right? That's, that's it. <laughs> you have to show up if you want the rest of it. All right. That's going to do it for this week. Don't forget to send me your thankful list, story, Bible text, words of encouragement for someone who may not be finding that thankful in their lives they were hoping for this year and during the holidays. Get it to me by December 21st, and we'll put them in that week's podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.